Go Wild is a free social community created for and by hunters. This means that unlike mainstream social media, your trophy pictures won't be censored. They're encouraged. As you spend time on Go Wild, you will earn awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, and big discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. You will even earn $10 just for signing up. Visit DownloadGoWild.com and sign up today. Mic check, one, two, three, four. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today we got another good episode. But before I talk about today's episode, what I want to do is kind of point you to last week. And if you didn't catch the three episodes from last week, uh, one on the Hunting Gear podcast and two on the Nine Finger Chronicles, uh, where I talk to uh, the guys over at Vortex, and that was Vortex week last week, do me a big favor, go get caught up on those episodes and uh, in this week at some point or over the next couple weeks. This episode, however, holds a lot of importance because the, as the title says, you know, it has the word conservation in it. And we're going to be talking a lot about conservation today. We're going to be talking with the executive director of 2% for Conservation, Mr. Jared Frazier. And I've known Jared for a while now. I'm on the board of the 2% for Conservation organization. And one thing that we've discussed, and, and as you'll hear on this podcast, is a decline in participation, both financially and time volunteering across, and that's on an individual level and on a corporate level, uh, the decline in conservation and, and the attention that our people are paying to it. And so we cover that topic in today's episode. We, we do talk a little bit of politics, very, very small amount of politics. And I ask the question, does like does who is who's in office does that determine whether uh, conservation is up or conservation is down with you know like if it's a republican or a democrat does that have anything to do with participation in in office and, and things like that and, and how money is spent and how time is allocated towards conservation works um so i know right now you know, conversa- uh, conservation isn't sexy, right? And so I'm sure a lot of you guys t- tune in and you want to hear me talk to some guy, some stud bow hunter from a different state, or, you know, me talk about myself and talk about the experiences that I've had. But this is more important, right? The, the longevity of public lands, the longevity of the, the hunting, um, you know, hunting, the natural resource that that we take from every year and so conservation is important because it's a yin and yang most of us just take but it's important that at least some of us give back uh, to the natural resource that we hunt and uh, we talk about all that today you guys have heard me a thousand times talk about this these things but it's important and uh, like I said at the very beginning of this podcast and I mean not this podcast but the nine finger chronicles podcast in general like I'm going to talk about conservation and I'm going to talk about what needs to be done. And I'm going to talk about, you know, how the hunting industry, I mean, as of right now is lacking behind in, in their, 
contribution to conservation efforts, not only with, not only financially, but just time allocating as well. So that's what today's podcast is about. Jared is uh, been in the the conservation side of things um, for a very long time. He is connected to a lot of other uh, conservation orgs, and so. He has his pulse on uh, conservation, uh, North American conservation, even uh, international uh, conservation as well. And we talk about trends and things like that, but uh, he's a really good guest because he knows a lot about just uh, conservation orgs in general um, through his, you know, through his life experience. He's pretty much dedicated his life to conservation. And so great conversation before we get into today's episode and i'm a bit behind here i gotta open up this document here and i gotta uh, let you guys know some what are we doing here i gotta talk about the commercials uh, and I'll, I'll tell you what actually what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna run through all of these once i'm not gonna it's, it's not gonna be your standard block i'm just gonna tell you all of the brands that support this podcast and what i'd like you to do is just go check them out if you're looking for a saddle or saddle hunting accessories or you want to learn to become a better saddle hunter go check out all things tethered all right tetherednation.com if you want a badass um if you want a badass broadhead on the tip of your arrow wasparchery.com they have mechanicals and they have uh, fixed blade uh, made in america go check them out uh, wasparchery.com discount code nfc20 for 20 percent off uh, vortexoptics.com uh, uh, i've had a couple of you guys reach out to me for the discount code it you can't use the discount code on vortex uh, website uh, you have to go through a third-party website to get the discount code reach out to me if you want it and I'll I'll give it to you via Instagram uh, vortex uh, badass badass company uh, code blue sense I just got another box full of mock scrape kits in and within the next you know month I'm gonna be going out and getting those mock scrapes set up hoping that I can get uh, bucks in front of uh, trail cameras and ultimately, that's the goal, man. Uh, and uh, help help with the uh, the locating of some of these deer. So, codebluesense.com, discount code NFC20 for 20% off. The Woodman's Pal, if you're looking for a badass machete slash habitat, uh, habitat tool, uh, go check out uh, Woodman's Pal, uh, Woodman's Pal, Com and uh, read up on how this thing's been around since you know the 1940s and how it's been used in World War II and how uh, it's made in America out of some badass material. Uh, last but not least, Huntworth. Um, Huntworth, uh, I just tried on all my gear for this early season a couple days ago, and it fits perfect. So if you're looking for uh, a company that, and I quote, is... 80 80 to 90% of the quality of the elite brands and 50% of the price. Go check out uh, HuntworthGear.com and uh, check out all of their camo patterns and all of their uh, the camo and clothing that they they offer. So, all right, that's the that's the advertising uh, for today. I make, I just want to make sure I got all all of them in for this episode. And uh, I think the best thing to do at this point is just get right into the episode. So uh, we'll see you on the back end. Three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and today 
We're going to be talking all about conservation with my good buddy, Jared Frazier. Jared, what's up? Hey, thanks for having me on. Good to see you. Yeah, you too, man. You too. So you live in Bozeman, right? Uh, just outside of Bozeman, just about out- 25 minutes in a little town called Manhattan. Okay. So- Perfect. Perfect. Confusing sometimes, but yeah. So I have to ask a crazy question, and I, I bet if 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 you sat and thought long enough, you're gonna you would know what I'm gonna talk about. But in the in the show um, Yellowstone, there seems to be this conflict between the old way of uh, Montana and the new way of Montana, and somehow it seems to be focused in on Bozeman, uh, the, the quote-unquote yeah. hipster crowd moving in. Is that a real thing? Uh, not as much as the show makes it out to be. What is more common is people moving here thinking they can shoot people trespassing on their property, <laughs> including hunters, and that's a much bigger problem. People getting shot at more than they ever have because uh, it's, you know, this is our land, you know, and the folks just moved here. This is our heritage. You've been here three years. OK, just and, and like not knowing like stream access laws, you know, people are allowed to walk up and down any river below the high watermark. Well, in the show Yellowstone, they made the only guy who talks about that be one of the villains and like they kill him. Right. Yep. So and if I spoil it. I don't care. Kevin Costner can eat a bag of eggs. I, I, this, here, I'll, I'll just, I'm, I'm using my phone, so I'm going to, I'm going to rotate this and uh, just show you. I mean, it is, well, of course, now that I show you, there's no traffic, but it's been nonstop traffic. Um, oh, there we go. There's cars. Okay. So yeah, it is. Uh, the, the main thing is people getting priced out. That's, yeah. that's priced out and then pushed out people moving here who, don't understand public access laws, think they can block off all the public land hunting or buying ranches that used to allow hunters on. You know, you bring some donuts, you bring a six pack of their favorite beer or whatever, and they'd let you hunt. Um, now there's, I mean, those places everywhere that I took my kids hunting when they were little is now blocked yeah. and gone. Yeah. And that's, that part's for real. Um, but yeah, the, the, the other thing I would say is, you know, there is a little bit of a, a hipster crowd and the show makes a lot of noise about that, but, but it's, that's not really who's moving here. It's, it's uh, people who are extremely wealthy mm-hmm. and kind of shutting down all the local shops and stuff and replacing them with chains from New York and Dallas and Kansas city and whatever else. And that part's heartbreaking. I, I think I have maybe a dozen friends who were here pre pandemic um and the rest of all had to move uh because making six figures was not enough yeah so yeah that's crazy man i uh i'm i'm glad that's not happening in in iowa because i would i personally <laughs> would, would get fed up with it even though we don't have any access to public ground here in iowa anyway um uh because iowa only has less than two percent uh, public right. lands for hunters to even access. And some of those are, some of that 2% is like state parks that have restricted hunting or no hunting on it at all, but still considered public land. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. well, it's that, it's that battle. But, but what you were saying, uh, I hear this from anybody who hunts out West or anybody who lives out West. It's just the pricing out portion of it, like yeah. homes, are ridiculous 
out in Colorado and Montana to go my buy. My home is worth three times what it was when I moved in in 2016. Yeah. That's and again, cool. I live like half an hour down the interstate, half an hour down the interstate. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, all the, all the place, all the private land we used to hunt too. I mean, it's been bought by billionaires mm-hmm. for fun yeah. and they just block everything off. Yeah. And so, yeah, the place, uh, I took my son, he's sitting across from me, took him, uh, for his first hunt where we shot a doe gone. Just yeah. there's condos on it now. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, that's why I volunteer, uh, you know, time with like the local land trust, um, with the Gallatin Valley Land Trust. I mean, we're trying to keep up with the rate of, uh, of, of realtors, basically, yeah. uh, you know, the real estate rates and stuff, trying to conserve land as fast as we can, because like our local pronghorn population in the early aughts was well over 350. They didn't have an accurate count because there's so many of them in such a small space. And now we know that it's less than 35. Damn. And that's, that's just, just from urban development. Yep. 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 Everyone wants to build out. It, it's suburban development. Yeah. So everyone wants two and a half acre ranchette with fences around it to keep the elk and other stuff out from their, you know, invasive plants that they like to plant in their yards that they grew back home, wherever that was. And so it's all been subdivided into all these little ranchettes and man, that just, demolishes habitat in huge chunks yeah we just helped conserve about fifty thousand acres in paradise valley which is where the yellowstone show is supposed to take place even though they film in utah people need to know that that's not montana that's utah (laughs) um some of the b-roll footage from season one actually happens in montana but oh and then they'll go to butte and film there uh for some of the town stuff but uh uh, there was 50,000 acres we conserved there in a conservation easement with a with a ranch there, but just across the road there's over a thousand single fa- single family units going in in where I used to elk hunt. Yeah, where I shot my first elk actually. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's hard. Yep. So I live I live right in between two of the I guess especially on the east side of the state between Iowa City, it's a college town. It's a bigger town. And then Cedar Rapids is uh, several colleges there, bigger community. And so you're sitting at, you know, a a very large amount of people uh, for Iowa. And I can remember driving down the interstate and it would just be cornfields and and, and wildlife. You could see it uh, from the roads Mm -hmm. and things like that. And now it's just exactly what you said, subdivisions. And so I would like to say that sucks that it's happening there, but it's happening everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. 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 Yeah. And, uh, and I, I think what you're doing to try to conserve land or, or even landowners, because I've heard of this happen a couple of times, you know, the, the guy, the guy who owns, has owned that property for 50, you know, 70 years, he's, yep. he's getting ready to die. He goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write in this, in this parcel that nobody can ever build on it again. It can have my house, but it's going to be agriculture or it's going to be timber. And that is it. Yep. That's what a conservation easement is. Yeah. And what it's really great at, let's say you're getting ready to pass or let's say, let's, I think most of the folks listening, it's going to be their folks, right? Or grandparents or something like that. If they put the land in a conservation easement, one, there's big tax break yep. that comes with that. So if you're concerned, like, how do we pay taxes on this once grandma or grandpa or, you know, great uncle are gone, um, that helps with it. 
Um, two, it does not allow it to be subdivided. It has to be in whatever character that you set up, and, and, and it's the landowner that sets it up. Three, it keeps it in the family. And the value to that is just huge. Yeah. You know, uh, when, when it changes hands, then it changes interests every time. I, I, it's just out of view here. But a couple years ago, there were two parcels up on the front of the bridge range that, sorry about the loud truck. I don't know if that's canceling stuff out. But uh, there were these two parcels up on the front of the bridge range, which is the main range right outside of Bozeman. Everyone stares at it all day, you know, and they're well within view of town. Uh, big front face thing. There actually used to be a little buffalo farm on it. And when the patriarch passed, he gave it to his two sons. The one decided to do what his dad had asked for, which was put it put his parcel into a conservation easement. And so we helped. Two uh, percent was involved helping get businesses to to buy that parcel and and help uh, the local land trust with buying that parcel. Then we went out with like Sitka gear, their employees, and did like a bunch of habitat stuff up there. The parcel next to it now has a giant white house, and it's three quarters of the way up the Bridgers. And there's a huge road where they gutted it out. It is fenced and gated. What used to be that rancher let folks go in there for, you can go in there for morel hunting. You could go in there for all kinds of things, just for walks with your family if you wanted. And now it's gone. And now we've got you know all this stuff here. But the other side, it was in a conservation easement. Yeah. And so it will never be developed. Yeah. And and part of that easement is that uh, if you do it with a, with a land trust, they usually help you with habitat management. Mm -hmm. So they'll come in and look at invasive species, and they usually have grants available for landowners to, oh, nice. um, you know, go and take care of that kind of stuff and take care of the wildlife that are on the property as well. Yeah. And and for agricultural purposes, you keep those purposes in perpetuity. So it's it's very much a cows, not condos, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Just makes sense. But yeah. 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 Hey, man, it's it, that same exact thing is happening here in Iowa, too, but on a little bit of a different tilt. And that would be you have these farmers who own big chunks of land. They they all have like two, three, four kids. The kids all have different, each kid has a different view of what should be done with the property. So ultimately what happens is, is it gets sold. And especially in the deer hunting, mm -hmm. the deer hunting areas uh, in Iowa, or in some of the heavier uh, populated areas in Iowa, it gets sold for a ridiculous amount that locals necessarily can't contend with. Um, like right. for, for me, for me to buy property in the county that i live in would almost yeah. be an impossibility because right. the, the ground is right. the ground is so uh expensive but with that said it what's happening is tons of people from out of state are buying are buying up the the hunting ground in in iowa well and so, we know we know that over half of them are actually hedge funds so the stock market is a little tricky mm-hmm but land is, you know, they're not making any more of it. In the last five years, after a, a federal rule changed, or I would say loosened up, I, I want to say in 2018, uh, it was either 17 or 18, that's when hedge funds started buying a lot of land. So uh, like in Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin, where my in-laws live, my folks are northern Wisconsin. Um, it is hedge funds 
buying up a lot of these parcels and splitting them up into condos and then they control the rent. And that's why the prices are still so high. Everyone's wondering like, where are all these millionaires coming from? They're not. Uh, it's, it's, you know, billionaire and ultra millionaire portfolios mm -hmm. that are making it happen. Yeah. And that's who's buying most of the land here. And I talked to our members up in like upstate New York, uh, down in Georgia, down in Texas, down in California, up, I mean, all corners of the country, uh, even up in Alaska, it's happening. And man, the habitat pays a price, but also, you know, traditions and um, conservation capabilities yeah. are, are super truncated. There, there are parcels where we've been working on some huge habitat projects here in the West. And mm -hmm. by huge, I mean, you know, we're talking 10,000 acres and up. Um, and the parcel next to it'll sell and totally, totally remove, um, the, the usefulness, you know, like, why are you going to work on this parcel here when what used to be next door was the calving area? And now it's a bunch of, you know, little ranchettes that are up yeah. and the elk have left, Yeah, you know, so that kind of stuff, it, it, it's why we so strongly encourage um, our business members to get involved with local land trusts yeah. or with like the trust for public land or the nature conservancy. Um, Rocky mountain elk foundation does stuff here in the West around that kind of stuff. But uh, ducks unlimited Delta waterfowl and others ducks unlimited right now has a crew of, I want to say six guys who their whole thing is trying to put good waterfowl habitat into conservation easements. Yeah. And organizations are starting to catch on that of all the issues we have going on this is one of the few ones where if we don't act now it's it's toast yeah like with some of the other groups i work with you know um because our members support over 1800 causes and chapters of causes around the world so i get to talk to a lot of a lot of biologists a lot of development folks and whatnot for conservation groups obviously we're dealing with the climate issues and stuff but there's as far as like what a local person can do to make a dent in that, it's not going to happen in your lifetime where making sure that that parcel does not go the way of the Buffalo. Um, that's, that's what you really need to, you know, focus on as best you can, if you're able to, and the land that you do have access to helping make it even better. Um, so we're talking rotating crops and a bunch of stuff like that to, you know, help the wildlife because they're running out of places, just like we're running out of places to engage with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I just sit back and I watch things change and it, it doesn't seem like it's, like it happens in a very small amount of time. And what I'm, what I'm saying, I'm, like everything that we've kind yeah. of talked about doesn't happen in one year, but when you stop yeah. and you look back at a 20 year period, kind of like what you were saying about the Bozeman area, you're just like, oh my God, this is kind of sad. How, what direction everything is going? Because here in Iowa, yeah. what, what I was saying is the, you know, the 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 landowners, they're not, they're they're wanting to sell to, for the highest price, and that I guess I can't blame them for, but usually that's to an out of stater, and then that out of stater yeah. is, and I'm not saying that happens all over the place, it's an out of stater, and then that out of stater is displacing two, three, four hunters. And then where do they go yep. to the less than 2% uh, uh, public lands that are, you know, I hate to say yeah. it, but Iowa public lands are already crowded. And so it just, it just seems oh, to yeah. be this snowball of, uh, oh, yeah. of negative, like a negative trend. And, and there's a lot of people out there who just don't seem to give a shit because they're making money. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, this is where I, I, I get into a little bit of a tussle with some of my, you know, firearm industry friends and I got family in the firearm industry yeah. too. You know, they want to make the, you know, if this gets taken away your hunting's getting taken away. I just I'm like, guys, you don't have somewhere to go. Your hunting's getting taken away. And that's happening right now as we speak. I mean, when I, we first started this call, there were two real estate developers sitting just across the patio, Yeah, which is why I got a little louder because I hope you heard <laughs> me a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, it's happening right now. It's happening where you live. And I, you know, people can sit around and complain, complain, complain. I am the kind of person that it, I would rather spend that effort on how do we stop it? How do we fix it? How do we engage it? And we do know what works. Um, supporting your local land trusts absolutely works. And, you know, talking to those landowners that you've been hunting with for years and stuff and saying, hey, did you know about this tool? I'd like to help. I'm going to put you in touch with someone, you know, put you in touch with an organization that'll make sure that your family does keep this land yeah. that you've worked on your whole life. You know? Yeah. It's yeah. important to do. That's a fact. That's a fact. Okay. Conservation. All right. Don't get too crazy detailed because we're going to break stuff down here in a little bit. But what would you say is the current state of the conservation union? I would say it's moving towards weak. Okay. Right now. Yep. Um, from what it was. Um, if you think back to the 2019. You know, you have all these conservation shows, really hunting and conservation shows really taken off and a lot of interplay in between, um, you know, hunting groups and angling groups and hiking groups and bird watching groups. And they're all starting to play well and nice with each other. Then 2020 hits. We have all this time on our hands. Most people do, at least. Um, some of us, <laughs> some of us were working our butts off <laughs> trying to hold stuff together. And deal with, you know, the influx of all these people with all their time. Um, 2% nearly tripled in size that year in membership, um, which meant, you know, we're working 50-hour weeks usually. Um, but there was a lot of interest in volunteering because people had time. They, they weren't in the office every day. They weren't, you know, a lot were starting to sit behind Zoom meetings in a way that, you know, even makes these recordings just a little, you know, ah, yeah. you know, we're doing another video. Um, but, uh, they had oodles of time and the wildlife really benefited from it. And then in 2021, when people started being able to meet up again, um, then the fundraising started to kick off again and it was going pretty strong. And then 2022 happened and the war in Ukraine started and political unrest at a level we've not dealt with in a lot of places and it grabs people's attention um a lot of natural disasters start happening in some high population areas as well that's grabbing attention housing crisis like what we were just talking about people getting priced out really takes off in 2022 just last it's hard to like remember that a lot of what we're seeing as far as the acceleration was just in since covid mm -hmm. essentially a lot of people moved a lot of land was for sale a lot of homes and stuff so you have employee turnover. You have the great resignation last year when people went to go back to work and realized they weren't getting paid enough for sitting in their car for an hour and a half on their commute. Mm -hmm. um, and they start their own businesses and stuff. 
So you have massive turnover on the business side, but you also start having massive turnover at the conservation group side. I did a calculation on this, I want to say four or five months ago with our comms coordinator, Bree. And out of our conservation partners, which again, our members support over 1,800, it was like less than 20. I mean, it was, it was, it was count on your hands and toes um, how many conservation groups we did not have a new contact with within the last two years Yeah, where it was a, a different person there. Whenever you have turnover, you lose efficiency. You lose all the volunteers that were attached to that person who had a emotional or, you know, a, a, like a rapport with, with that person who was an employee there or a volunteer leader. In 2022, we saw the largest turnover on volunteer boards as has ever been seen percentage-wise in the conservation space. So this is your local chapters of, you know, deer groups and duck groups and pheasant groups and, you know, all these different groups. The largest chapter turnover we've ever seen. Yeah. And there's a few things causing it, but what the reality is, is that funding is really high. For some groups right now, higher than it's ever been uh, because they were able to kind of seize those moments the way that they were structured and being either smaller or scrappier or, you know, had enough money in the first place to do a ton of advertising when no one else had money to do it. Those have really taken off, but the majority are suffering. They can't find volunteers. They're having a hard time finding major donors. They're having a hard time getting people to re-up their annual memberships. And those are all come from different different problems. It's not like a silver bullet to try to fix this. But we know what those problems are. And the challenge now is helping address what is a cultural phenomenon, not something set in motion by any one particular person or group. And it's going to be a while before we dig out of it, but what it's really going to, you know, have to happen is just heavy communication. Um, you know, folks, folks knowing what's happening in their backyard, yeah. knowing what's going on in their favorite places across the country that they like to travel to and do stuff. Um, knowing that the group that has always taken care of those areas is wildly short on volunteers and funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to take people engaging at a level that maybe they didn't feel like they had to, because we gotta, we gotta kickstart the engine again. Yeah. And it always, you know, the the supporting causes is like a flywheel. You know, it takes some effort to get that damn thing spinning, right? Yeah. But then once it's spinning, then it's going really well. And it was spinning real great going into 2021, and then big old iron spike went in it and just nearly ground it to a halt so we got to get her going again i'm a big believer in trends okay like i I, i'm a numbers person i like to look at the analytics i like to look at what causes something to happen and what causes something to not happen and so i don't i don't really want to make this next portion of this conversation political but the Mm -hmm. way i look at it and 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 i would i want to hear your insight because you're you know way more than i do but when you have an uh, inflation scenario like what we're at, where everything is more expensive, does conservation suffer under certain political parties and prosper under others? No. Okay. Some conservation groups 
prosper under certain political parties because they have ends through friends mm-hmm. that they didn't have before. Uh, but as a whole, as a whole, the things that set trends really come down to a couple things. And, and one of the biggest ones, it does involve politics a bit because if you feel like your team is losing, you tend not to want to engage. So we see this every, and this is one of the challenging things here in the U.S. And the reason why I say that it's not a political thing um, entirely or, or, or one party versus the other that, that's making things better or worse on the conservation side is we do work internationally mm-hmm. where they have more than one party or where they have two parties as well, but we see similar trends and they're not tied to a changeover in party. Right. What we do see is t- typically more favor for one type of group or the other. And by type of group, I mean type of recreation, not necessarily the conservation work itself. The last six presidents we've had have all had wildly different economic policies, wildly different, you know, their treasuries all did different things. And, you know, they're always cleaning up after the person before them. That happens no matter who's in office. They're cleaning up after the last person who was there who, you know, got a bunch of big wins to make themselves look good towards the end. And, you know, then said, here's the bill and hands it to the hands it to the next one. Um, There's that kind of stuff. But what it really like the core of when we look at, like, why aren't people giving? Why aren't people volunteering their time? It comes down to empathy fatigue. Mm -hmm. And when you're you feel like you're losing. So if you're watching a bunch of news that is constantly telling you that you're losing you tend to not give as much. We know that statistically you, they tend to give less than half of what they do when they think they're winning. So think about the media you're taking in. Is it making you mad all the time? It's probably making you a worse person. Yeah. Uh, because there's a lot of good stuff going on too. Yeah. Um, the other part attached to that is when costs go up, there are some things that still do well. And, we want to talk about high costs and, and difficult living the Pittman Robertson Act was passed during the Great Depression mm-hmm. you know the excise tax on on firearms ammunition archery equipment and hunting licenses that was passed during the Great Depression the uh, Dingle Johnson Act which affects uh, angling you know it involves your fishing gear uh, it's basically the pseudo equivalent of the Pittman Robertson that one passed during a recession as well and a bunch of other great economic policies that people gave into at a, at a, you know, federal level passed during recessions usually uh, because the land starts to take a beating. Um, there a lot of the, the factors people don't think about the factors that go outside themselves. So we'll, we'll think, especially those of us who are self-starters, which most hunters are right. No one else is getting you out of bed at four in the morning to head to the deer stand. It's you, right? right? Or putting in the work with your your scouting and all that stuff. We tend to think, okay, well, I'm doing everything I can. What's wrong with everybody else? And we don't think about we don't think about how industry is involved and how industry or like we were talking about the land purchases and stuff with the conservation easements and, and whatnot, how that is often I mean, right now, over half of it's being done by giant hedge funds. It's not you know, someone moving in from out of state, it's some big company from out of state. So you have those factors. And also right now we have the biggest takeover of small businesses. So if we're thinking about that business side, 
we have the largest takeover of small businesses to have happened in the country since the dirty 30s. And what I mean by that is your local, you know, electrician used to be like a family owned business, right? They would show up at banquets and give, they bring their whole family, they would bring employees. In the last three years, we have seen more small businesses get bought by larger corporations who don't allow them to do those banquets, who don't allow them to go out and do those service projects. And we know that because we lose them as business members when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, in the that, last that, year, that, and I'm sorry lost- to interrupt, but that is happening in the hunting industry right now every time. Oh, big time. And any time a company is sold to a larger company, uh, a larger holding company just you might as well just tell conservation to go fuck themselves because that's exactly what's happening they're not they're not they're squeezing well, every penny there are exceptions yeah there are exceptions there's always so, exceptions so yeah. like sitka sitka here in bozeman um you know they gave this last year almost two million to conservation mm-hmm. but they're owned by gore which is owned by 3m mm-hmm. which is owned by you know yeah warren buffett and a bunch of other people um, and then, uh, stone glacier tomorrow is putting on a huge event. That is basically a, a big fundraiser for conservation. And they are now owned by Vista, uh, which is based, uh, they have offices all over the country, but you know, Utah is where most folk, folk, folks think of them being from. They're doing a big event tomorrow, um, supporting the Rocky mountain goat Alliance. And we have a few other business members, but that, that are, have been bought and do things, you know, still well, but We've lost companies, many, many companies in the last three years to being bought and not being allowed to support conservation at that level anymore. Right. And especially not allowed to have the accountability uh, that comes with the certification. And we've lost we've lost uh, non-hunting companies because they got bought and they're not allowed to support conservation anymore. We're talking about home contractors and, you know, uh, coffee companies and things like that. So that is having a huge impact just a massive, massive impact. But on the personal level, what we're seeing is a lot of that empathy fatigue. We're seeing a lot of folks getting just way too riled up about things that either don't matter (laughs) in the broad scheme of things, or that they've been told, you know, are going to ruin their family and ruin this country that actually won't. But the outrage is ruining our habitat mm-hmm. it is ruining ruining our opportunities and it that. definitely is tearing communities apart yeah that's unfortunate uh, to elaborate on the business side of what you're dealing with yeah. you know knowing i'm a board member so we've had conversations so i know the insight yeah but i want to i want to ask you like i have this feeling and and it's not really a feeling because i know the facts uh, you know the facts right I conservation to me has always seemed like a, if I'm a person or a business, I should say, what can I do for conservation? But in right. the last couple of years, I've, some of these businesses are almost flipping go, yeah, we'll love to be a part of your organization, but what can you do for us? Oh my word. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, um, that highly competitive, I don't want to feel like I'm losing the way I do with other things in my mentality. Mm -hmm. And I mean, (laughs) it used to be, I would get one every couple months, uh, business inquiry 
that would say, you know, if we do this, what are you giving us? Well, the proof mm-hmm. that you actually do what your marketing says you do, mm-hmm. which is gold in a world full of people, you know, sell it, saying that they sell gold. It's real gold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then we, we have lots of, you know, marketing programs for our members, a lot of promotional stuff. And their goal is essentially to make, have us do way more work for them than what they pay in at all. Mm-hmm. And to only take on uh, conservation issues or um, outdoor issues that their major, um, you know, like funders, because there's a lot of outside funding in any size business right now um, that they're interested in. So we used to see a lot of, you know, interest in their local pheasants forever, their low sh- local NDA, their local RMEF, their local, you know, XYZ org, right? Now we're seeing folks who don't want to get engaged unless they're guaranteed some large marketing campaign with an organization that has 50,000 members plus, you know, and meanwhile, by the way, that business is doing less than a million a year. Yeah. <laughs> and we're getting a lot of that. And, and I think a big part of what we're seeing is from the great resignation, we had a lot of corporate folks go out and take over businesses in industries that they like. And this includes especially the outdoor businesses. So you have someone who maybe used to work at Nike now works for a hunting boot company and they're expecting to still be able to, you know, get those kind of huge campaigns that they would get with like Habitat for Humanity or, you know, some of these just massive, massive organizations, you know, that have a million members strong or whatever. And, you know, annual budgets of 200 million plus. But they're trying to do that with a company that does, you know, less than a million a year. And they're expecting people to bend over backwards for them because that's what they had in the corporate world. So there's a cultural aspect happening there, but we're also seeing, again, folks who feel like they're losing in their communities, but don't want to actually engage. They just want to go on Facebook and Instagram and bitch about it. Mm -hmm. That's who we typically are running into and having problems with, with them actually looking to get more out of it than they give. And I've, I've talked with quite a few of our, but we've, we've talked about this on board meetings. I feel like my number one enemy is the comment section on anything owned on social media yes. because you know, people it, it's, they get a, a chemical rush in their head that is, you know, the equivalent of eating Twinkies every day when we're offering them a steak, Yeah. you know, takes a little while to cook it. Yeah. Takes a little while to, you know, get that dinner table ready and stuff, but you're, it's way better, right? I mean, yeah. although a Twinkie when you're in the back country is pretty awesome, but <laughs> you know, we're offering something that requires a, more thought yeah. and folks are too mad about stuff that again, does not matter. Yeah. Um, and, and they're not engaging, Yeah. which is where we really work with our business members. You know, we help them engage instead of get distracted. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from a a period of idling let's just say during covid where the restrictions not going to work uh, everything that happened in covid forced us to slow down forced us to um, 
Like there's nothing to do. So we're going to do what we truly love. And then as we come out of COVID, we, we just simply, everybody simply fell back into the routine for the most part of everything else and just kind of walking away from what they were doing on the conservation side of things. That That's my personal take on it. Um, yeah. And I would take it a step further and say there was a lot of individualistic ideology that came out of that time too. Think about all the people raiding toilet paper, yep. all the people, you know, hoarding this, that, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, all the people who are like, Oh, you're going to make me do what? Screw you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we have a conservation group come in and say, Hey, we, we really need to fix what's going on on this river. Right. We've got some serious abuse of the river and all you hear back is like, don't tread on me. Yep. Well, you're treading on yourself and we want to, yeah. <laughs> you're complaining there's there's no more waterfowl in the area, but you're not willing to, you know, tell your kids to stop doing pallet fires out there, leaving, you know, small bits of metal that are killing the ducks. Like yeah. it's it's uh, a lot of like me, 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 me yeah. at a scale and in groups we hadn't seen it before. The me, 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 you typically saw from affluence mm-hmm. because they had not been trained on empathy. Mm-hmm. Right. And we are seeing folks now, again, uh, one group partners, it, I, one of the things that's absolutely murdering, um, uh, you know, dollars going out and stuff is someone used to su- support a, a group. And I'll ask them, hey, you used to support XYZ group. Why don't you? Oh, they partnered with so-and-so and so-and-so is into such and such. And I can't anymore. Oh, did you talk to them about that? No, I'm not doing that. It's just a waste of my time. <laughs> and that mentality, we would hear from a couple randoms, and we tried to have as little interaction with them as possible <laughs> before. But now we hear it from a lot of different corners, and we hear it from our conservation partners that folks who used to support, when they find out that that group collaborated on a trail cleanup with another group, I mean, there was one. It was it was uh, like a, an affordable housing group. Okay, in in a community in South Dakota, and they were setting up a trail clean or not trail cleanup, a river cleanup with a river watchers group because that happened. A bunch of people who didn't want to see affordable housing come to their neighborhood because, you know, it's going to lower their property value, allegedly and whatever. Bring in folks they don't want. Um, They quit supporting the river watcher group Hmm. while the river watcher group was doing that there because it was. It, with that with that affordable housing group because it was right behind some condos yeah <laughs> so you know they're cleaning up their own mess but now you know you got folks who sit and listen to talking heads all day yeah um and just get twisted into knots and then they have no capacity think about i i, I compare it with uh parenting especially fatherhood because i can speak to that i can't speak to motherhood but uh fatherhood there's a lot of guys who want the title of dad but they don't want to actively be a father that's a fact and we see that we see that you know um in conservation there's a lot of people who want to be called an outdoorsman they want to be called a conservationist they want to you know have the title but they don't want to show up and do the work yeah and you know, that aspect of, of being a father, that includes, you know, you got to be a father on days that suck, yes. right? 
bad day at work, you still got to be a good father. Yep. You know, so-and-so lit you up that day. You got cut off on your commute or whatever. You still got to be a decent father and not, you know, snap at your kids because of something someone else did that right. ticked you off. Well, we're seeing that with conservationists too. Yeah. They're forgetting that there's the act of being a conservationist. Yeah. They want the title, but they're really annoyed about a bunch of other stuff. So they don't want to engage. Yeah. And I see this also with the boards that I was volunteering on over the last couple of years. The more angry someone got about things outside conservation, the less we could depend on those folks to make the damn board calls yeah. to help volunteer on, you know, fundraising to help volunteer on coordinating um, trail projects and, and habitat yeah. projects and stuff. I could almost, we started making bets in some of these groups. It's like, Oh, I see so-and-so hear him ranting about such and such again. He doesn't even like, Whatever he's ranting about isn't even happening in his area, but he's really ticked yeah. that he won't make the next meeting. Sure enough, wouldn't make the next meeting. <laughs> so that we know, we know that that is the core, the core from the individual side. And we know what the core is from the corporate side. Yeah. We know what the core is from the business side. And it all comes back to people are forgetting that we have short lives. Yeah. And you can only spend so much of it being pissed at somebody or an idea or a thing. Mm -hmm. And real change, real, you know, real um, tangible, you know, good outcomes only come from action. That's it. So, you know, if you're if you're watching like, hey, I, I haven't my favorite fishing spot, like used to be a ton in there. Now there's none. Um, and you start complaining, well, maybe the farmers are taking too much for, you know, um, irrigation or, you know, it's all those people floating down the river all the time, or it's all the, you know, this, it's all the people playing on the beach. And that's why my walleye spot that's half a mile across the lake is bad now because of the people on the beach. Yep. Um, if you're sitting there being outraged, you're not actually fixing the problem. Right. And if, if you're sitting there being outraged about different social issues that talking heads are telling you to be outraged about, you're going to be way less effective. Yeah. So um, we try to help folks address those, but I'm being honest here. It's a nut that's way too big for us to crack on our own. Yeah. Which is why I'm thankful you, you know, had, had us on. I didn't know this is what we were going to talk about, but well, I uh, didn't either. Uh, yeah. I will say this though. It's a damn shame. And we're going to get into some positive stuff here, but it is a damn shame that, and I'm speaking from what I know and from what I hear and from what I've seen in the hunting community or biz, like the corporate, the industry side of things specifically, that I, I don't want to be part of a conservation organization because my competitor is part of an organ, a conservation yeah. organization. And I'm like, to yeah. me, that just, that is, you're not, it's almost just like, I, I can't say this, but I want to say, well, we don't want you anyway, then if you're not going to truly mm. be, if we, if you're going to not truly give for giving yeah. sake, then because you're afraid that you might be lumped in the same positive category as your competitor. I don't yeah. know. I, that's BS to me, man. That's why we have a side slogan of conservation is not a competition. That's right. And that was said uh, by one of the founders of Sitka gear while on a podcast with another camel company. Yeah. That in since that podcast we were on with them, 
sold to a corporate interest who made them, uh, you know, not be members with us anymore because of the corporate competition. Yes. They, they did not want to be affiliated in the same program as one of their competitors. Yeah. Uh, while that program had brought them, and I'm speaking of 2%, had brought them thousands of new customers, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, they shoot themselves in the foot. And again, it's that, it's that, uh, corporatization of stuff that really just bastardizes conservation. Mm-hmm. And there are still organizations that actually have no, comp- no compete, um, purchase opportunities for sponsorships yeah, or that run exclusively on no compete. There's a very, lo- I, I don't want to throw them under the bus here. There's a very large organization. It's big, basically North America based, but they have a panel that meets of, of, uh, their members, some of their wealthier members, they meet once a year and they review who their corporate, uh, sponsors could be. And if there's any competition with anything that those guys make money in, it's not allowed in. And, you know, they're, they're wondering why they're not getting support, (laughs) you know, um, as their industries start to die off and stuff, they're wondering why they're not getting support. Um, but yeah, it's one of the things I address with every business when they first come up is we do better when there's multiple people, right. When there's multiple voices, when there is direct competitors supporting the same thing, that's when some of the crazy ideas come out and help make stuff happen. Yeah. And you know, I'm seeing this, the, the corporate takeover happening really fast and it is hard to keep up with, but we're doing what we can. Right. And we're trying to work right. with our conservation partners to help them say the same thing. That's why we have our conservation um, community partner program is so that I have a good in with those folks. And if I start noticing, Hey, they're letting competition rain. Um, they don't realize how much it's going to bite them in the butt in maybe as short as a year. Yeah. Right. All it takes is all it takes is that corporate sponsors handler, um, you know, their partnership coordinator to move in a new one who doesn't like their cause and suddenly they're gone. Yeah. So, and, and all that support that they could have had backups and redundancies for is gone too. So we're working on that more time than I wish we were mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a lot more time. I'd like to spend marketing and getting in front of folks, letting them know what the certification can do for their business and stuff. But we're putting out fires yep. in a lot of places right now. Yep. Yeah. I feel you. Let's end on a positive note here. Um, I want you to elaborate on the 2% for conservation referral program that, uh, that yeah. we have going on. Yeah. So this has been going on since, uh, 2020. Um, and we we're doing it pretty quietly with, with a bunch of our members cause I needed a few years to see how it would work. Right. Yep. We run such a tight budget. I, it, it's best if I don't start throwing in random things that could totally turn that thing upside down. So, um, we're making it not as quiet now. Um, meaning it's, public now (laughs) on the business member side, here's how the the referral program works. So if you're a business member of 2%, uh, if you refer another business, their annual dues, that new business, that whatever that amount is, whether it's 300 bucks or a thousand bucks, depending on how big they are, um, that amount will get erased from your dues for that coming year. 
So uh, we have several business members in the last two years who have been doing this, and they'll refer a company that's about the same size as theirs. Yeah. And when they refer that company, that new company's dues, which are the same amount as theirs, basically wipe their dues for the year. Okay. Um, if they bring in a business that's bigger than them, we will also buy memberships for them to different conservation causes for them to gift to either their staff or customers. And that, you know, is a, is a really important tie in there because all these businesses support usually multiple groups. If they're able to give memberships away that they didn't buy, you know, the company that they referred essentially paid for it. Um, that's, that's a big marketing boon for them. Yeah. So that's the business side. And all it takes is, you know, setting up a, an email, you know, sending in a contact form, you know, um, or, you know, shooting us a message of a phone call of, Hey, I want to refer this business. We'll put it in, we'll keep track of it. And then that's wiped from their dues and, you know, memberships are bought and stuff on the individual side, the, the general, you know, general, you know, John Smith public, um, it's pretty sweet. So it tiers with the size of business and I'm not going to get into the details here, but essentially you refer a business. If they're a small one, we'll buy you an annual membership to any cause that on any conservation cause that you care about. Um, and I say conservation cause, not your you know local shooting range, which I know a lot of folks would love to have those dues covered. But, you know, unless they bring in a shooting range as as as, as the business member. Um, but we'll buy a membership uh, for them. Now, if you get into like that midsize business, we're talking, you know, business that brings in over a million dollars a year in gross sales kind of thing. Um, that means a business that's giving a lot more, right? If you refer them or it's, it's uh, you know, because of you that they come in, now we're going to buy you like a family membership or a bundle of memberships to different causes that you can have for yourself or for your friends. You can give them to your kids. You can give them to your hunting buddies. Um, and then if you bring in like a, a whopper of a business, uh, this is, you know, a, a pretty decent sized one. People will, people will be surprised how many of these are in their areas though. Like your average plumbing business is around 10 million a year that it does in sales. If you were to bring in a business that size, we'll buy you a life membership to the cause that you care about. And then you'll be a life member of that group all for just referring, you know, maybe your local plumber. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the program for businesses. You get dues wiped and you get memberships depending on what it is for individuals. You get memberships to causes and you get them covered and you can gift those memberships. It doesn't have to be just to you. Um, and then it's done in partnership with that group and you're acknowledged with that group and things like that. So, without getting into the minutia too much, that's how that program works. Um, and it's been with the people we beta tested it on. It's been pretty successful. That's awesome. Uh, so we're opening it. We're opening it to the public. And this is again, a great way for you to engage in your community or your network to move that needle in a positive direction for conservation. Yeah. Every business that comes in is a business that is throwing their weight around wherever they're located for habitat and some of the bigger businesses if they sell you know nationally or internationally they'll throw their weight around in all kinds of places mm -hmm. so you know that's it, it's very impactful when someone's able to bring a new business that hasn't heard about us uh into to get certified that's awesome i uh i mean it, it sounds like the path is just set up 
it, it, to me anyway. Yep. It does, it's very turn simple. Key. Yeah, turnkey. Yep. 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 Okay. Um, any anything else on that particular uh, front that you want to talk about? On the referral front? Yeah. Or did we cover it all? Yeah. Um, we take any kind of business. Yep. Uh, so if you're thinking, well, I don't know any people in hunt business, that's less than half of our membership. Yeah. Uh, we've got, we've got gutter cleaners. We got roofers. We've got piano repair guy down in Alabama. Um, our fifth business member we ever had was two teenage girls who were babysitting and they, I asked them, you know, how are you going to give back and stuff? And they're like, well, the way we're going to do our 1% of gross sales is we're going to buy memberships for the kids we babysit. And because they were minors, we couldn't put them on the website. But I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to cry. Um, that was... <laughs> That was uh, six years ago. Those girls are getting out of college pretty quick here. But oh, nice. uh, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's all it's all about you know people supporting the causes they care about, and right. there are way more people who want to support conservation that work in a business that has nothing to do with hunting or fishing. Yeah. So, you know, bring it, bring them in, um, and we know how to speak their language. It's not. We're not going to be sitting there talking about biologist reports and stuff. I come from a blue collar family. Uh, Bree, our comms coordinator, does as well. Um, we're they'll be well taken care of. Yeah. So, gotcha. um, and and we can help them connect to causes if they don't already have causes that they know to give to, or that you know maybe they're having a rough go with the cause. Again, we have a massive network, and it grows every time we bring on a new business, um, or or find out about a new partner. So, a big chunk of my time is spent helping connect and keep those relationships good uh, between the businesses and, and the causes so that it's not a headache for the business owners that they can just run their business. Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. We got a big day though, coming up uh, soon. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talk to us about yeah. uh, conservation day. Yeah. So community conservation day was started in 2020. Uh, we were doing conservation conventions before COVID and then, you know, naturally COVID came and, couldn't all meet together. Yep. Um, so we were like, well, what if we had people go out and do stuff for conservation on one weekend? So we call it a day next weekend or next year. We're probably going to call it weekend uh, because we have members who it is a literal different day on that. They're like our Australian members are a full day ahead um, and our other Southeast Asia and like Korean individual members and stuff like it's a full different day. So they're like, it's the 20th. Why? Are you? Yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, but con community conservation day is the 19th of August this year. So less, less than a month away. And the purpose of the day is for people to be able to give back to conservation with their time and dollars at the same time as a bunch of other people are doing it so that you feel connected. Right. Um, so that there's a unified purpose and cause on the day and you can give back with your time and dollars, however you want. Some people use annual community conservation day as their reminder to re up their memberships to NDA and other stuff like that. Um, you could do that. Um, some folks use it as a reminder that they need to send in some pretty uh, snippy letters uh, to their local, you know, uh, legislators and stuff about degradation of habitat and things like that. Um, but a lot of folks take that day because it's before school starts promote. Well, before, kids school starts college is usually it's it's usually their first weekend or second weekend um that weekend is one of the last ones of summer or one of the first ones of fall if you're a college student yep and it is a great way to meet new people or connect with like if you're a college student meet new people going out and doing something you set up a 
hey, we're going to go clean up a trail, grab a couple trash bags, set up a flyer in the hallway or whatever, and go do a cleanup um, on that day, just somewhere you care about. Or families who want to do one last cool thing together, maybe with their kids' friends and stuff, can go and clean up the area that they've been swimming all summer. Um, you can go out. A lot of folks are getting their their uh, deer stands ready and stuff. Or, I mean, they should be pretty ready by that point. Most of the country, but um, you know, you go out to those those areas with an extra eye uh, to hey, are there noxious weeds? Should I pull some of those? You know, they're going to turn a, a you know the buck you want to get when it comes you know to be real cold. It'll turn their guts inside out if it's still there. Um, you know, pull some noxious weeds. Go out there and pick up trash in that area. Oh, Hey, where you put your brother-in-law, he left a bunch of Gatorade cans full of some mysterious liquid uh, at the base (laughs) of his tree stand. Go pick those up. Um, It's the perfect time. So August 19th is the day that we tell, you know, tell folks to engage on this. Um, It's a great reminder dates for you to do your re-ups for you to take care of the habitat you've been using all summer, the habitat you're about to use all fall and winter. Um, It's a great time also to advocate on social media about the causes that help you be able to do what you do. So use that day however you want, but that's what the day is for. And at some point we may go back to a convention at some time, but over the last couple of years, um, we've crossed over a half million dollars raised for conservation by our business members. A lot of our business members put on stuff like pint nights for the causes they care about. Um, uh, half rack in, in Southern Wisconsin, they do a big, they go to a pub, Mm-hmm. And they take over a pub and and the fish fry and everything. And they do a big fundraiser for local state lands and uh, habitat projects and stuff that are underfunded. And they give all that money. Um, we have members uh, all over the country doing all kinds of like in Michigan. We had five business members partner together the last couple of years, all to do a habitat project together and invite their customers too. So whether as an individual, you can get out and do the stuff I described or you know, look and see if there's one of our business members in your area and see if they've got something going on. Uh, that's that's what the day is for. That's how the day works. Um, and always we ask folks, share it on social media so that we can share what you're doing. Um, make sure you tag us in it uh, so that we can let folks know. We'll also send some swipe packages to a, a couple folks who, who do that too. Perfect. So that's Perfect. that's a big day. Now, I myself, if people are like, all right, we're going to do this and then they don't see me, I'll actually still be in the ICU from a surgery on that day. So <laughs> Bree's going to be running the show with with the 2% board doing stuff. And I'll, I'll be doing some advocating on social media. But there's a bunch of typos. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> Heavy medication. Heavy medication. Heavy medication. <laughs> there we go. Well, uh, Jared, man, I really appreciate what you do for conservation just in general. And also for 2% for conservation in the direction that, um, uh, you know, that you take, you've taken this and, and the time and energy that you put into some of these causes. And, and so thank you very much for doing that. Thank you for coming on the show and and spreading the good word. And, uh, if people want to learn more about 2% for conservation, where do we need to send them? You can Google it, which helps us rank better if you Google it. Uh, but also our website is fishandwildlife.org. There it is. Pretty, pretty easy to remember. But Absolutely. Yeah. And we're on every social media platform except for like Twitter and threads. So yeah. Yep. Sounds good, man. Well, Hey, find us there too. Uh, again, good luck with everything. If you need me holler, 
and uh, we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks so much for having me on. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, really appreciate you guys listening to this conversa- uh, this conservation conversation. It's uh, important uh, for not just me, but for all of us, really. And so uh, do me a favor. Take some time and go visit 2% for Conservation at fishandwildlife.org. You know, really strongly consider becoming a member um, and, and finding and, and spending time and dollars towards what it is that you that you want and what you want to conserve whether that's bumblebees and butterflies whether that's deer whether that's elk whether that's sheep whether that's toads or whatever animal or or uh conservation org you like we uh can can help can help you with that so uh conservation is awesome it's not a competition and uh Man, I appreciate everybody for listening to this episode. Do me a favor, go to Instagram and just share it or comment or, you know, spread the word about conservation just a couple times a year. That's all you need to do. And it, it, it helps. So good vibes in, good vibes out, man. If you're going to be in a tree, wear your safety harness and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.